Ooh, did you hear that? Mmm, that's fancy. That's fancy. That's some serious <laughs> gourmet shit, Jimmy. That's a Royale with cheese. podcast i'm your host danny paul with me as always is the vice host leon coventry leon danny happy thursday happy thursday to you sir we're back in the saddle yes Ready sir only you're going on a getaway somewhere yeah tomorrow vacation a real one i did go on the golf trip so i guess that's considered a vacation but that was a quick little uh, three-day jaunt uh, two hours away drive time, but I'm going to Kauai tomorrow. You're going across and the oceans, my friend. Good for you. Good for you. And this I, is for a family event. Uh, it, it is uh youngest sister turns 30. That's exciting mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. Exciting for me that I get to celebrate it with her in Kauai. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really do think the, the whole family's ready for a good break. And this is a long one. This is 10 days. So I'm, I'm kicking off the shoes. I got very little plans. I'm psyched, man. I'm I'm ready for it. Oh, fam, damnly, huh? Oh, fam, damnly. So yeah, we're we're psyched. I uh, I had to you know dig out all the old Hawaiian shirts, which I'm sure I'm going to look very attractive in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as people do. Like you know, <laughs> when in Rome. I'm sorry, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, I saw you last week when I made a, a sojourn to the state of California. We had a nice time together and I went down the coast a little bit, went back to San Clemente, as the non-Californians mm-hmm. say it. For those of you that don't live in California, it's San Clemente. It's not San Clemente. We don't actually pronounce it with the Spanish if. <laughs> Yeah, we've butchered so whenever somebody says San Spanish. Clemente, I know that they're not from the area. It's San Clemente. <laughs> uh, we went down there. I went to the Rainbow Outlet to pick up some new flip-flops because those are my kicks of choice. And we were going to go to Stewart Surfboards because I want to get one of those really rigid uh, wicker straw lifeguard hats. You know, the ones that are bulletproof. Uh, but we realized that we were not going in the direction of Stewart. So we ran into... Uh, Dana Point up off of uh, one of the lanterns. There's 10 million lanterns in Dana Point. And we ran into the Killer Dana shop. And so I got myself a lifeguard hat from Killer Dana in Dana Point, California. Shout out to that Holmes who gave me some free stickers. I love it. That's awesome. He said, what's going on? I said, I used to come here in high school. I had a whole bunch of stuff, but then I moved to Arizona. We're back to visit. And so I just came here to cry and live some nostalgia. And he went, hold on. And he went in the back and he pulled out some some custom stickers from the surf shop. So super good times. I'm a big fan of Dana point. I think it's so underrated. And when people come out here and visit, that's not a place they go to. So it's definitely a place that the locals hang out at. And uh, it's, it's gorgeous. The Marina is gorgeous. The beach is gorgeous. You know, all the, uh, the culture that's down there and it's not too far from, you know, the mission. So every, you know, San Luis Obispo and all, or why am I saying San Luis Obispo? San, San Luis Rey. <laughs> 
San, yeah. No, Cap, so Capistrano. Cap, San, yeah, the, the Swallows, the Swallows mission. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful area and it's not a place that people typically go to. So, you know, if, if the 15 are not from Southern California, I recommend you head down that way. Would you say it has a downtown? I think so. Wouldn't you? I, I mean, I think if you go up that strip that's down PCH, you go up that, you know, by the marina. Yep. And even if you're going in the marina side, there's lots of shops and lots of cool restaurants. But, you know, you got you got to you got to work your way back there. It's not like it's on yeah, any so of the tourist main books. Golden Lantern Drive. And there's one or two streets on either side. Some of them have shops. Some of them have houses. And then if you go down towards Doheny, there's that big, long stretch that goes up and wraps around where all the boats are. And that's kind of what you think of as Dana Point. Uh, I, I, maybe there isn't a downtown San Clemente unless you go to Palazada Pier. Uh, but normally when you think of going to a place, you think of going to like the city center. And I think Dana Point's kind of spread. Yeah. Beautiful um, area, though. Beautiful area. Absolutely. Absolutely beautiful area. Anyway, the reason I mention all that is because I tapped into the Jefferson Ocean for my brown tonight. Oh. As I drove down the Pacific Coast Highway and looked upon the briny blue. And as Morgan Freeman says in Shawshank, the Pacific is as blue as it was in my dreams. <laughs> That's awesome. And I thoroughly loved it. And I was like, say what to now. And so this is my glass of Jefferson Ocean to celebrate the salty blue of the Pacific. What about you? Let me tell you. For the 15 that can't see Danny drinking right now, that is a healthy pour. So if Danny's not, if he's slurring his words by the end of the podcast tonight, you know why. This is my cheat day for the gym because I knew I'd be drinking with you tonight. Nice. Uh, otherwise, I'm trying to get back into it. I'm trying to. <laughs> I love it. Good for you. I'm, I'm, I actually am trying to do the same. Good for uh, you, sir. Tonight. I am drinking Sazerac rye. So I, I felt like something a little different, uh, a rye. That way I got no hug. You know, it's all in the jaw tonight. But uh, it's it's delicious and actually, for some reason, available. I don't, it's one of those things that just shows up every couple of years on the shelves and then it's gone again. So if you see it, you know, grab it. But it's 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 not expensive. It's a $30 bottle. Mm -hmm. typically uh and uh you know, it's it's a good it's a good rye if you're not a rye fan i recommend you you start with this one what's your take on bourbon versus rye um it's all it is really is the difference is the mix of uh you know the corn and um i think that typically rye it had at least the rye that I have. It it almost the mouth feel of it does feel like you are drinking something a little more grainy. Uh, when I drink bourbon, a lot of times, especially the higher proof, it feels like it lights me up. Mm -hmm. But the, when I drink any of the rye, it is the mouth feel is way way higher than anything that I drink on the bourbon worlds. Doesn't necessarily mean I want it or I don't want it, but it's nice to have something different every once in a while that, you know, tastes a little bit different. Most people don't, that like bourbon, uh, you know, they, you, you seem to like one or the other. It got really popular lately though. Rye was like, Oh, you don't know about rye. Let me tell you about rye. You either like it or you don't, you know, yeah. and, and it is different. 
You know, like I said, if the, if the mix is different, you're not going to feel it in your chest, which some people love, you know, well, you know, who drinks rye is Canadians. Yeah. Well, then I can't trust it. Bourbon is uniquely American, as we've said many, many times on this show. Uh, but the, the rye allows for a unique personality that the Canadians seem to drift to because they have Canadian club and they have crown Royal and they do a bunch of blended scotch whiskeys. Uh, but the rye allows them to have kind of a signature drink that doesn't stamp on the wonderful Americanism that is bourbon. And mm. I learned that from my buddy in Toronto, Barry the Bear. He says, have you ever tried rye? Like every time we talk about whiskey, he's like, have you tried rye? I'm like, yes. Yeah, I remember we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. so I, I wonder if that's the Provence of the North. You know, uh, living in Ohio for as long as I did, I didn't realize that we had what almost seemed to be exclusive access to Canadian items mm -hmm. that I didn't realize aren't here. Uh, I love hockey now living in Ohio. I, I want to be a hockey a fan. fan. I want to be a Coyotes fan for real. You should be, you should be. It's, it is fun. You know, if I had, it, I, I used to be a massive baseball fan. We talked about it, mm -hmm. you know, with, with uh, Mr. Jones last time. I definitely pulled harder towards hockey now because I understand the game better, but nothing to me is better than watching a hockey game with a big Labatt, you know, tall can. And <laughs> I can't find them here. I've been to like, I can't even tell you how many places I can't find Labatt. They don't, they don't have it here. Yeah. Southern it's California. Got, the, uh, got the classic Toronto maple leaf uh, yeah. on it. And we used to drink Molson Canadian a lot. We really enjoyed that. That's a good one too. Neither one of them are here. They're not here. Mm. You know, I oh, get it that I'm two two states south of the border, but at the same time, I I figured that you know anything that I could get in Ohio, I can get in Southern California, and that's not oh, the I mean, case. You can get Coors, right? Doesn't Coors own Molson? They do, and I can get Coors. That's I can get a lot of the Coors product. Beer I can't discrimination get that is what that is. It's BS. Is what that is. It's delicious well, beer too. Cheers to you, sir. That's a wonderful. Cheers thing to, to have. you. Cheers to you. <laughs> So now that we've shared with our Brown, let's get into our Brown news. This is the darkest Brown you got. Yeah. And I got news for you. Today's Brown news comes from the Whiskey Advocate, published on February 4th, 2021. How to pair whiskey and dips. I thought this was interesting yeah. because <laughs> now that Memorial Day has kicked off the summer, and I use air quotes here for those of you at home. Now that uh, Memorial Day has kicked off the summer, we're going to be having more outdoor gatherings uh, around here in Phoenix. Anyway, people are kind of eschewing masks and kind of getting back to normal. And some even the national chains, like I walked into a Lowe's today and nobody's wearing a mask in Lowe's. So things are kind of getting back to normal. You hear things about families having outdoor gatherings. You're starting to see more and more of let's try and get back to some semblance of normal. And of course, that means barbecues. Mm -hmm. uh, outdoor soirees. I sent a picture of my new grill brush today, which I'm very proud of. As you should so we'll be. be getting more to the uh, let's get together and let's have some, let's have some snacks. So how to pair whiskey and dips. Uh, the article starts. Some people would suggest that potato chips, tortilla chips, and wedges of pita bread are perfectly fine on their own. Then again, there are also those who believe that the earth is flat and good whiskey is not a necessity. Well, they're clearly wrong, but the rest of us, Chips and pita wedges form only one half of the equation. Dips are the savory equivalent of the frosting on a cake. Uh, 
They provide that extra jolt of flavor that turns a simple snacking occasion into a genuine gastronomic experience. But like the chocolate versus vanilla frosting debate where dips are concerned, opinions run high. So this mostly comes from a gal named Lauren Hollow from the food research firm Technomic. And she goes into a variety of different ways in which we can pair things together. So she starts with, to find the best whiskey pairings, I turn to the four most popular categories of dips as identified by this research firm. Cheese, salsa, guacamole, and spinach and artichoke, which I believe is one of Leon's favorites. I do love it. As well as the number one up-and-comer, hummus. Each part is both easily and quite deliciously with a different type of whiskey. All right, so out of these five... Without looking, top of the head, which one? I mean, for me, guac, a good guacamole can't be beat. But if I had to come right behind that with some kind of cheese dip, it would a chili, a good chili cheese dip. There's just no beating that either. So I'm going to go guacamole first. A good guacamole can't be beat. Very right, wow. Salsa, which dethroned ketchup as the most popular condiment in the United States in 2013. That still strikes me as shocking. Shocking. Awesome. <laughs> But there's commonality of flavors like of bourbon, too. which makes the American whiskey its best partner. The fruitiness of the spirit eases the acidity of the tomato with sacrificing any peppery spice while still having the weight to measure up against the salsa's big flavors. An added ice cube can mellow out any particularly searing heat if your salsa skews seriously spicy. Now, salsa is a wide, wide a genre of dips, right? You got the pico de gallo, which is the lumpy kind. You know, we're not even talking about heat at this point. But Danny, if you were to pick one, would you go with the chunky pico de gallo style? Would you go with a tomatillo style, the green style? Would you go with the, you know, the the blended, almost liquidy, sometimes fire style? What what is your style of, of salsa? If we're talking about dips, which I think is the direction that this article is no, going, salsa. I got to go with something, salsa. something chunky. Uh, okay. If you're going to talk about salsa, which is Spanish for sauce, you know, the same way that we think of salad. When you say the word salad, you automatically go to lettuce, but there's egg salad, there's potato salad, there's lots of different types of salad. And a salad, by definition, is just a mixture of vegetables, right? So when you talk about salsa, you think of uh, some mixture of tomatoes and peppers and such. So if we're talking about dips, Chunky all the way. Yeah. Now, if you were to layer something on top of a burrito or an enchilada, I got to say salsa verde is pretty damn good. Okay. Habanero is good if you're going to put it inside the burrito or if you're going to put it on top of your tacos. But just in terms of dip, I think in terms of dip, you automatically go thick, right? Yeah, I'm for it. I think you're spot on. I, okay. I think you're absolutely spot on. If you're going to throw it on some food, liquid is better. But if yep. you're going to dip your chip into it, Got to go with the chunky. For real, the dip should be a meal by itself. Uh, remaining in a Mexican state of mind, guacamole is defined by a rich, creamy texture and a soft sweetness of flavor. Conveniently, such traits may be also attributed to Irish whiskey in general, and particularly pot still whiskeys. Avocado may be the last green thing you would find growing on the Emerald Isle, but the gentle sweetness of both fruit and spirit make them ideal companions. Very interesting. interesting. Yes. So they're saying the pot still, they give... Uh... You want to speak Wait. to that? I, I'm trying to think of one that I would throw into that category. 
Because, you know, a lot of pot still bourbon gets a bad rap. There are these purists out there that are like, no way, not not the pot still. You don't want that. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I can't. I don't have enough experience to, to completely remove one. But I find it interesting that the one dip that I like the most seems to be paired with the one whiskey I seem to not have enough of or really gravitate towards. Well, for the uninitiated, how would you define pot stilling? Why is that significant? A lot of times when you um, if you have the opportunity to go to a distillery, you can see you know the difference. The Angel's Envy, for example, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the ones over in the you know bourbon or Buffalo Trace, sorry, Buffalo Trace, they use these really long still. They're tall, stories tall, you know, and they're almost always copper, at least the primary Mm -hmm. element is copper because they can control the temperature of it. And the point of the still, right, is to steam up, use steam to separate out the alcohol from the mash, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's going, it's going up. And for whatever reason, the, the tall stills seem to have a better ability to, to control proof, to control whatever taste profile you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and pot stills, a little bit different, right? It's like, when you think about the pot, it's like a teardrop. Uh, like it sounds, know, it's wide, yeah. It's, it's a big wide drop, and it kind of goes up that, down a tube and condenses and then comes back down, as opposed to, um, you know, the other, the uh, like the tower type of still. So, I don't know. I can't, I honestly can't tell the difference to me. I feel like the recipe draws more than the way you actually still it. And, and the average person, you know, let's say you, you Danny want to decide that you want to, you want to become a backyard moonshiner that you're going to use a pot still because mm-hmm. you, you know, no, nobody can afford the other type of still. And maybe that's just what it is. Maybe it's like an uppity <laughs> type of uh, way of, of distilling. Um, possible. I, to me, possible. It, it's possible. And the way that I took it, and I may be completely wrong in 15, don't, don't listen to me on this one. But when I think about the big tower type, I'm thinking quantity. Those things are machines when it comes out to, um, when you watch you know, that they're, they're cooking that thing up and it goes up the big tower of copper and it comes down the, the pure white lightning that's coming out of that thing mm-hmm. is rushing out of there. But when you think about the pot still, it's kind of not, <laughs> it's dripping out of there. And I, I just think for me, I, I think they built those more out of necessity so they can get the quantity they're looking for. I, I don't know that it's a taste thing. Okay. And I think that people bought into it and said, hey, you know, uh, this is the better way to go. But really, it's all about economics to me. When I think of Irish whiskeys as opposed to bourbons or even to scotches, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with my knowledge of pot stills, which you're clearly the expert between the two of us. What I think of an Irish whiskey is I think of a thinner whiskey, like it's not doesn't have the viscosity of a, of a bourbon or a scotch. Uh, and also it seems like Irish whiskey has a higher acidity 
Now, I don't know if that has anything to do with the chemistry or science at all. I'm just going off of mouthfeel. And so mm -hmm. when you're talking about something as creamy and dense as an avocado-based dip, it would make sense that you would want to slice through it, you know, like a hot knife through butter, almost literally. And so mm -hmm. Irish whiskeys make a lot of sense from that standpoint. Yeah. You, well, historically, when you think guacamole, what do you what are you having with it? You're having a Corona. You're having a Soul Cerveza Pacifico. You're having like yeah. a margarita. Something refreshing. Yeah, refreshing. So I I could see that. I, I think that I think I understand where they're going with that. I okay, would say so, low proof though. Low proof would be a better fit. Okay. You don't want good, you don't want anything qualifier. that's gonna light you up, you know. Uh, cheese is the most popular dip category in restaurants where elaborate blends of cheeses and seasonings reign, but supermarket versions veer toward the cheese and chili pepper combinations widely grouped under the Spanish sobriquet queso. Given Scotch whiskey's well-documented propensity towards pairing with cheese, it's no surprise that it shines here with a light smoky blend faring best alongside a basic queso dip, again, adding an ice cube and perhaps a splash of soda if spice abounds. Uh, I don't know if there's any correlation between smoke and cheese, but if you think about what you typically eat, that's not a drink with cheese, it's usually sausage or some kind of meat or a cured meat and maybe often a smoked meat. How's that mm -hmm. sound? Yeah, I'm for it. I think, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think when I think of cheese dips, um queso is definitely kind of one of those ones at the top of the list but i will tell right now anyone who wants to impress their friends and be a rock star one block of any cream cheese i don't care if it's philadelphia or whatever your local brand is and one can of beanless or hormel hormel chili with no beans you put the two together you heat it up till it turns into one mind-blowing amazing cheese dip. Uh. Uh, the other thing is now that i'm growing up uh, and being more adult-like, and I'm seeing it more and more. Maybe it's a California thing. I don't know. I didn't see it as often in Ohio, but the pimento cheese dips, if you can find those, mm -hmm. legit. Yeah. Legit. Yeah, it's definitely a California thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip to hummus for a quick because it kind of calls back to what we were talking about before. So with Mediterranean staple of hummus, which is a chickpea-based dip. Full-bodied Canadian whiskey provides perfect balance with just the right mix of richness and refreshment. And that's all they have to say about that. What I want to get into, of course, is one of your favorites, which is Spanish and artichoke dip. Requires mm -hmm. two things from a complementary spirit, either sufficient body to stand up to the dip's creaminess or enough spice to cut it and a dryness that will withstand the chlorogenic acid and cyanurine in artichokes which can exaggerate the sweetness of anything consumed alongside either spicy, straight rye whiskey, Boom. which fits the bill on both counts and has the added bonus of refreshing the palate between mouthfuls of dip. There you so go. put that up against the idea of the guacamole in terms of creaminess. Like this is seriously fills up your mouth, it's rich, sticks yeah. to the roof of your mouth, creaminess, right? Yep. So what you need is a palate cleanser. And what mm -hmm. this says is a spicy, straight rye whiskey, which you've already said is in the mouth, right? Yeah, it's all mouth. So, no, I get it. it makes sense. How serendipitous. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, uh, we got we a couple of pairings here. 
with the with a little bit of time we got left. We got the pairings here of famous grouse and soda with Tostitos medium salsa con queso. Mm-hmm. Uh, your favorite Buffalo Trace and Pace medium chunky salsa. New York City. Yeah, I want to pause here and say Pace isn't salsa, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> The fruitiness of the bourbon tames the acidity of the salsa while the salsa's spice brings forward the richness of the bourbon. It's a match that works both ways. Uh, suspect. Yeah. Uh, wrapping right. up the list here is lot number 40 and Sabra roasted garlic hummus. You ever had Sabra roasted garlic hummus? Yes. Seriously good. So good. Seriously. You know, hummus is one of those things. I like to try to make things myself and see if I can make it better. Hummus is one of those things I can't just buy it because by the time you get the cans of the the chickpeas, you got to go get tahini, which you'll you always have to buy a big thing of tahini and you'll use like one one hundredth of it. And it's expensive. And I let the people, the good people of Sabra, which, by the way, the pine nut one with the roasted red pepper is the best one of all. Hummus is super good. Anyway, that wraps up Brown News. Brown News. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team. Get down, let's get down to business. For today's business news, we're going to talk about a company that I have a serious problem with. And I shouldn't because why would I want to step on anybody else? But this, I want to talk about this now because Hater. it is aggravating and genius at the same time. So it's jealousy you're feeling. Maybe it is a little bit envy. Serious okay. envy. Buckle in, my friend. Here we go. We're going to talk about Oatly, oat milk. Do you like oat milk? You know me. I don't drink regular milk. Do I like oat milk? You don't do the cow thing, so you might actually jump on this, but you're going to like how I close this out. So here we go. I'm ready. Oatly floated on the U.S. stock market on Thursday, which was Thursday, May 20th. Uh, Investors gave the plant-based milk maker a warm welcome. Its share price immediately frothed up 30%. It's no surprise Oatly's new public stock was in such high demand. Consumers, environmental and nutritional concerns have pushed plant-based products into the mainstream, and investors have long been looking for ways to back the companies fueling the category's rise. Their enthusiasm allowed Oatly to price its initial public offering at the top end of its intended range, raising more than $1.4 billion in the process. Stop it. The IPO valued Oatly overall at $10 billion, a tidy step up from $2 billion just 10 months ago. Now, I want to put that in perspective. If you watched the Super Bowl under COVID, there was an Oatly commercial, and I challenge you to go back and try and find it on YouTube. The commercial, as I remember it, was the stupidest thing I've ever seen, except when you take into account the investors that are throwing down on Oatly. The commercial was a picture of blue sky with white clouds and this kind of weird synthesizer music. And as you panned down, 
it came down to this dude who had a keyboard in the middle of an oat field with a, with a, you know, a half gallon carton of Oatly and he was just playing music and it just said Oatly. And I thought, look at this fucking asshole. This is a douchebag who just blew 3 million a minute on a Super Bowl commercial. Now, from a business perspective, I want to slap him in the face. But from a business perspective, that's fucking genius. You know why? Because we're talking you know, about You just it. did there. You said business perspective twice. Back that's right. Back. Because there are many sides to business, my friend. <laughs> I, you know, I find it interesting because what makes Oatly different than any of the other oat milks out there? My, my daughter's allergic to milk. I was allergic to milk growing up. I grew out of it in my teens. Um, hopefully she will as well. So we have almond milk and oat milk in the house at all times. I don't even know that I've ever bought Oatly. I, I, and I've been dealing with it for the last four and a half, five years now. So I really, I don't understand what makes this one such a big deal because oat milk is not a new thing. Thank you very much. You just made my point for me. That valuation of $10 billion amounts to 24 X last year's sales compared to beyond meat, 16 X and Danone's relatively paltry two X. Uh, which might be because it's two plant-based milk brands, Alpro and Silk, are just small cogs in a much bigger dairy machine. But even as new competition keeps coming onto the scene, Oatly's ubiquitous brand means its growth is, at least for now, continuing to outstrip its rivals. So it's not the only player in the space. You just said so. You've never heard of it. You've probably heard of Silk. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so yeah, Silk but- is made by Danon, who makes yogurt. They're a, they're a dairy biz. They got cows. They do all kinds of stuff. So they have all versions of dairy. They have cheese. They have yogurt. They have milk. They have cream. They've got butter. And they've got non-cow versions of all of those because they're in the dairy business. This is a clear indication of a company that is selling snake oil. And the reason that I say that is because, one, their commercials are stupid. Their investors are like Jay-Z and a bunch of different celebrities. And so there's tons of money being pumped into this thing so that everybody gets all excited about whatever. Uh, and it's all bullshit. And that's the, the 95% the, marketing. It's 95% marketing is what you're yeah, saying. I mean, if, if you could go that far. So the, the quote that I pulled up here was interesting was uh, this comes from, this comes from somebody who wrote into Bloomberg business week, which as the magic 14 knows, I'm an avid reader of business week. Uh, I will be eternally grateful to Oatly the adorable Swedish company that pioneered milk made from oats and is expected to go public. Oat milk is also the easiest, cheapest milk to make at home, assuming you not live with a Holstein. So instead of spending six or $7 per half gallon at the store, I buy oats in bulk at Costco and toss 50 cents worth of them into the blender with nine cups of ice water, a bit of sweetener and a pinch of salt. As you are straining the mix in the nut milk bag, you never thought you'd own. Think about your growing savings account. We go through about a gallon of the stuff a week, which will add up to hundreds of dollars of savings by the end of the year. I just learned so much. I just gave you, sir, gallons and dollars of savings. On I have no idea. No These idea. These guys charge six or seven dollars a gallon because consumers are stupid. Yeah. I, and you know what? I fall into that stupid consumer category because has there ever been any of these milks that you ever thought you could make yourself? I've always drank almond milk thinking, how do, how do they get this? How do they squeeze this out of an almond? 
How's that work? But I'll drink it. You know, the, the, this is actually amazing. And I am going to try it now. Do you know Nine how cups of ice gets made? I, I guess I always assumed that they drill a hole in a coconut and pour the water out, but I have no idea. So this one can be verified by the Magic 14, but my understanding of coconut milk is coconut water is when you crack the coconut open and you pour out what's inside. That's coconut water. Okay. Which is delicious. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Coconut milk is when you take the coconut water and then you put coconut meat in with the coconut water and blend it. Hmm. And that is coconut milk. And again, you're probably paying $5 a half gallon for it. Boom. Yeah, I want you to pick up pieces of your brain around your office there because I just exploded. So ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if you are an investor in Oatly and you just put 30 points up on your stock, good for you. So I think that's an amazing return on investment. I think you're doing a wonderful thing. If you have not invested in Oatly, don't. Because it will crash harder than anything you've ever seen because it's stupid. <laughs> you know, this that is, is one my of those... treatise on public markets in the midst of a recession. Can, you know what we need to do, though? You know, I, I listen to pundits all day on both sides of the fence. I always do. I think it's interesting to hear what, what the Dems are saying, what, they, what the Republicans are saying about the exact same thing. I find it hilarious and fun. But what's interesting is none of them ever hold themselves to the bullshit they're saying. You know, they just come, they just say this shit that they just word vomit and, and you go, Oh yeah. But nobody ever goes back a year and goes, how'd that turn out? That word vomit that you came, that you were so sure was going to happen. So you put a reminder in right now and one year from today, Danny, I want to talk about where Oatly stock is and what's happened to it. Fair enough. Yep. Okay. So what are we Reminders recording in. on? We're recording on June third. Let's set a note for ourselves. So July third, we want to talk about Oatly. <laughs> so I'll put that. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. And that that keeps us honest. We will for the Magic fourteen fifteen wherever we're at now. Did we drop it, listener? Are we at fourteen now? Yeah, we're at fourteen now. I think it was a clear uh, player. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, if. Uh, We'll be honest. We'll come out and be honest with you where we're at and where, where this is at and, and uh, whether or not Danny's full of shit is what we're going to hear. So I pulled Don't a trust his worth, advice. I pulled a month worth of stock performance here. It opened up at about 20 bucks. It immediately popped to 22, which is a strong, strong bump. It dropped again to 20 by May 24th. And then May 26th, 27th, and 28th, and 29th, it got up to 25 bucks a share. So it opened to 20 and it got to 25, which is pretty solid. That's a good 25% gain. Mm -hmm. And then on June 2nd, it dropped to 23 and it was flat today. So mm -hmm. if we're looking at a stock that was $20 a share on the day that it opened, which by this account is about May 23rd, you're looking at roughly $3, which is 15%. Can you back out? What's it year to date? Where did it start at, at the beginning of the year? Well, that's it. It's, it, it doesn't change that's between it. six months and year to date because the stock is less than a month old. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I guess that's fine. Uh, but you're that's looking at a $10 good. billion dollar market cap for a company that sells something you can make for pennies 
on the dollar. We're so that to me is 50% awesome and 50% sad bullshit. So dumb. We're dumb. And that's business news. Do, 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 do. All right, your favorite. Let's go to the crank file. It is my favorite. I get so excited for this. What's wrong with me? I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Today's crank file comes to us from NPR, the voice of reason, National Public Radio, published on May 5th, 2021, under the animals category. A huge ancient lake sturgeon has been lurking in the Detroit River. Yes, they do. This one just made me laugh. I remember we were talking about crappies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Crappies was like the national fish of Ohio. But there was something (laughs) about either the one of the two species that that contributed to crappie. One of them was just working its way up towards Lake Michigan. And they were supposed to build a dam for them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about the nuisance fish? Yeah, they were worried about some some type of fish that was going to get into Lake Michigan and just mess everything up. I don't want I wonder if it was those jumping carp, whatever the hell those things were. That could have been it. Those things over you, you ever seen the video of those carp that like jump into the boat because they get agitated by the engine and they're like hurting people. I think it I I don't know. I assumed it was that kind of fish when I those are the ones I'm thinking of, but they're going up some river yeah. that eventually makes it to Lake Michigan and they're worried that the fish are gonna jump the dam and get into Lake Michigan. It's, it's, it's a, I believe it's a type of carp. I could be called on that, but yeah, it's, which nobody eat or do anything with. And I'm quite honestly, if it wasn't for the incredibly expensive eggs that this fish sturgeon that you've been talking about has, nobody would give two flying farts about that fish. Okay. So I want you to touch on that because that's, that's something that I'd have no idea. All I saw was that there was a seven foot fish. Yeah, so caviar. Caviar comes from sturgeon and only sturgeon. Only sturgeon. So if all the other bullshit that they call caviar isn't caviar unless it comes from the sturgeon. It's got to be sturgeon. Okay. All right. That adds some that adds some death to the story. Uh, but the fish itself, you wouldn't eat it. You wouldn't eat that fish. just, Just early fish, right? Yeah, you just eat the eggs. That's it. So the story is dated on. May 5th. We've been saving it for the crank file because it's just completely outrageous. So last Thursday started out like any other day on the Detroit River for three scientists with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Conservation Office in Alpena, Michigan. They were setting up fishing lines as part of their annual survey of the Lake Sturgeon population. Before arriving to check on the fourth line, scientist Paige Wagrin says the biggest thing hauled in was a five-gallon plastic bucket. Then everything changed. Mm. All of a sudden, This gray and white shadow came to the surface, and for about five to eight minutes, we struggled to try to get the fish into the net. She adds that when the crew all worked together, they were finally able to get the fish onto the deck of the boat. That's when it really sunk in how large this fish was. Mm -hmm. The river monster wasn't just large. It was a record-setting giant weighing in at 240 pounds and measuring nearly seven feet long with a girth of four feet. I hope they threw Scientists it back. believe the fish is a female and at least a hundred years old. I hope they threw it back. Well, let's think about this. If sturgeon is the only one that can produce caviar, 
mm-hmm. and you try and figure out how much in terms of dollar value each what would you say caviar litter because caviar is eggs right yeah so how many times does a hundred year old seven foot sturgeon lay eggs? yeah what is this fish I'm- worth I mean, if it's continuing to lay eggs, then yeah, right? And I bet, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. If it's truly female and they pulled that thing out of the river, you know, just to lay next to it and take pictures of it and didn't put it back in, shame on them. Because it means nothing to them. You don't, nobody mounts a sturgeon. You don't eat that fish. It's, it's a dumb, I, I hope to God they put that thing back in there. And I, honestly, I was always under the impression that sturgeon didn't bite hooks because their mouth is more like a catfish than it mm-hmm. is like anything else. It's it's more carpy. It's not a like a bass or anything that's like all aggressive biting. Maybe it does. I'm, I'm learning something here. I, I just assumed you either had to snag a sturgeon or you had to have some kind of like stink bait to get one. But I could be wrong. Uh, so it looks like they tagged it with a microchip and they released it back into the river. But the, the size and length of this fish in this picture that's shown on the website here was published on May 5th, 2021, NPR.org. Uh, the fact that the sturgeon has survived for so long and probably has seen way more than any of us could imagine is kind of phenomenal. And just, I think, everybody loves a good fish story. <laughs> it, it doesn't see shit in the Detroit River, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's it certainly a big nothing. fish story which in this case involves a nearly seven foot long century old sturgeon swimming in a river that feeds industry in one of america's largest cities yeah so this is water for like the car plants and like what's in the detroit river other than poverty <laughs> broken dreams oh yeah that's not what that is not water you want to drink it's probably not fish you want to eat and i don't know if that's caviar you want to eat either we see world-class fisheries in the Detroit River and St. Clair River. I can think of a whole bunch of walleye fishermen who would agree with me. But this it's not even just walleye. Disgustingly see, big. I had buddies that would go up to St. Clair. Uh, and, it, and it's you know, a lot of the places where you get into St. Clair is not good areas. A very very dodgy areas but getting into that lake and going and fishing that you're going to catch the biggest most badass smallmouth bass you've ever seen uh, monsters monsters but uh and and tons of them you won't be bored it's not one of those things where you go fishing all day and you catch two fish you will your arms will be sore by the end of the day it's just uh it's not a place I typically like to go up to because it's not a great area, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the fish is fishing is fantastic. Where did we go fishing when I came out to see you? Did we go catch walleye? We did. We caught sogai. And that was in, it is a hybrid between a walleye and I'm trying to think, uh, uh obviously it has something to do with sock, but I can't remember that other type of fish, but it is a hybrid fish. They're bred and they're put into that. We went to Buckeye Lake is where we fished. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what I remember was you got to get a fishing permit. Okay. How do I get a fishing permit? $8. Okay. Go Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Go, go pay to play. <laughs> yeah. So that's the crank file. Uh, on to the next segment of the crank file, which is one of your favorites because 
Florida. And I, I don't know if the 14 or 15 understand. I lived in Florida for almost four years. For a time. I'm allowed, I'm allowed to make these jokes. I believe you survived a hurricane, which one of your stories should probably make a Three. future episode of the podcast. Three hurricanes. Uh, the one where you kicked in the door and saved the girl, I think, should be should be that saved was Francis. for uh, uh, make yeah. it a devil. Hurricane Francis. Very good. We'll save yeah. that for later. <laughs> This week's Because Florida comes from News Channel 8, WFLA. Walt Disney World bans former employee who was fired for drinking water from the park's decorative fountains. Well done. I mean, I mean, <laughs> well if, that done sir. If, if that isn't clickbait right off the bat, I don't know what is, but the article itself kind of backs it up, which I love. It gets better. A former Disney World cast member has been banned from the resort allegedly for life after being fired from his position earlier this year. Following his termination in March, Jason Jeter, no relation to Derek, claimed that the Walt Disney Company had specifically taken issue with two of his TikTok videos, one in which he entered a closed but unlocked wedding pavilion, and another in which he tasted the water from different decorative fountains around the Disney parks and then rated them on a scale of 1 to 10. Jeter, who goes by Jeet on the video sharing platform, had continued to visit the park in the following months, often uploading footage of his visits to TikTok. In his latest video, however, he reveals that he had been issued a lifetime ban from Walt Disney World earlier this week. <laughs> Jeter alleges that he had arrived at the parking lot near the Grand Floridian to, quote, get food, but soon noticed Disney World security circling his car. When he got out, he claims the Orange County Sheriff's Office presented him with a trespass warning, telling him he was no longer allowed on the property. Jeter further claims that Disney security and a Disney World, quote, investigator, unquote, explained the trespass warning, although Jeter did not reveal what they said specifically. Then they're like, hey, also, it's a lifetime ban. <laughs> I can never go back to Disney ever. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> I mean, how many memes can you make on Disneyland security kicking you out for drinking fountain water? I mean, a million. Dude has close Ooh. to a million followers on TikTok. <sighs> the Orange County Sheriff's Department has since confirmed that Jeter, 21, was issued the trespass warning at approximately 4.30 p.m. on a Monday. The warning also instructed that Jeter was to be trespassed from all of Walt Disney World properties to include, not limited to, theme parks, water parks, resorts, and Disney Springs. How do you get kicked out of Disney Springs? Mm. According to a copy of the notice provided by the Sheriff's Department, conduct not welcome on Walt Disney World property. Womp, womp. I'm trying. I'm trying to do my best Disney impressions. I can't think of one. <laughs> oh, huh? Don't drink the fountain, douchebag. <laughs> oh. 
Jeter continued to visit the parks as a guest, but joked in some videos that he was on Disney's most wanted list and claiming that he was being followed by Disney employees during his visits. In the weeks following his termination, Jeter had also been sharing videos from inside Universal Orlando Resort. Officials at Universal, meanwhile, have presumably refrained from issuing him the same ban, despite hinting that they're well aware of his proclivity for drinking water from non-drinkable sources. I just, you know what I, when I think about this and it's, it's been <laughs> rattling around in my head for a while. Do you think we're better off for social media? Do you uh, think no. as a race, we're better off with social media? No. I don't think so either. I think it has done so much more damage than good. I think that the amount of misinformation and false I, idols is not the right word, but uh, you know, people people here that need that are influencing false bad influencers here. Uh, I, and it, and it just gets more and more popular. I mean, when we, 10 years ago, our mind were blown by the Johnny Knoxville's of the world. Who would possibly be this dumb? You know, the Steven, Steve-O's. And, yeah. You know, I can't believe what these guys are doing. What they were doing back then that was so astronomically crazy and weird and seemed to be localized with a small group of complete idiots. But we could have now is a common occurrence where we just keep hearing about, you know, the Tide Pod Challenge or some other stupid BS that comes down that hurts tons and tons of people. People are looking up to one million people. Watch this guy drink water that's going to hurt him. That not only tells me that this is not a great platform for us to be using or sharing with the rest of society but it also makes me wonder and i'm not going to try to get too political but it's interesting to me when these platforms pick your platform decides this is out of line and this is not you know yeah this, there, is, this is, there are elements of it's not a utility so for people that think it's a utility that's it's not it's a private company and so you're using a private company's product whether or not you pay dollars you are paying for it you're paying in terms of them tracking your behavior and so it is a product being used and there is censorship because it's a private company you can't use the right. first amendment argument with a private company the first amendment argument is for the government so if the that's government right. were running social media then yes you can say free freedom of speech. Right. Um, there, there is, it's an, I would say it's a net negative. Uh, there's been yeah. some good things. There's been the Arab spring. There's been opportunities for dictators be t- to be held accountable. There's been people that have been taken to task for being assholes. Um, mm-hmm. You're kind of delving into the world of what's called cancel culture, which again, I've heard arguments on both sides of cancel culture. And I always come back to shut up. Like, do you have to say that? Do you absolutely have to? So I don't know that cancel culture is is so much a thing because it's I'm reading a thing in The Economist on how it's on both sides. And so if yeah. it's if it's a left leaning 
topic, it's regarding accountability. If it's a right-leaning topic, it's regarding punishment. But it still comes back to, you opened your mouth. Shut up. Right. So right. I, I go back to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm with you here. I, it, it's a net negative. I don't think the positive parts of it have outweighed the negative parts of it, especially since I watched um, The Social Dilemma, which was that documentary on Netflix. Yeah. That that swore me off. I, I hated Facebook anyway. I left Facebook a couple of years ago, but as did I. Yeah. After watching that, it it further solidified because I was very aware of behaviors that I was not happy with. So you won't find Bottle of Brown on Facebook, which might be deleterious to the pod, but we're on platforms that I think are a little bit more towards what we want to talk about, which is LinkedIn business and Instagram, which is people. So I don't I don't think it's an awful thing per se. I just, I I'm with you that it's a net negative. It, it is. Yeah. That's, that's where I, that's where I stand. And, and I think the more and more of these situations I see and the more and more of these influencers that I see that are not really role models in any way, shape or form, but millions of people look up to them. It's very, very, very frustrating to me. And it, it's, I think, a, a big mouth sore <laughs> on society Agreed. that we don't have ointment to take care of. We just, Agreed. Agreed. we just all see it. We notice, we don't say anything about it. We see it though. We see that sore. We're like, hmm, I know what that is, but we're not going to talk about it. What I remember saying, uh, maybe 20 years ago, is I remember saying this, and I still think about it. The internet gives a voice to the voiceless. And that can be a wonderful thing. And that can also be the most awful thing ever. So it's, you can be angry at the internet, you can be angry at social media, and you can be angry at all of these different tools. Uh, because I tell my kids, listen, a shovel can be used to dig a hole or to hit somebody over the head. It's a tool. How do you use it? And it seems pretty clear uh, that social media is being used not for its intended purpose. And so it's a net negative. Well, I also think people are just naturally trolls. And 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 the more and more, I think that people in general enjoy stupidity. Have we had this conversation already? I've had it so many times. I don't even know if I've had it on the podcast or just with you on the side. But have you seen that movie um, with Luke Wilson? And I, oh, uh, you're going you're gonna to have to. Idiocracy. Thank you. That movie was so far ahead of its time. Oh, and yeah. at the time seemed ridiculous. Uncomfortably but now, prescient. Yep. It's uncomfortably correct. 14 or 15, go out there and watch it. Watch it and tell me I'm wrong. Tell me we're not going down that road. Tell me that people are not getting increasingly lazy, dumb, fart jokes are funny. Intelligence is is uh not only not appealing or attractive, but discriminated against at this point. 100%. Because people that are intelligent make other people who aren't inferior 
And those people in a lot of cases end up being the majority and louder. So it ends up being spot on. And it's something you got to watch. It's crazy. We should probably do a dedicated episode on it because I think you're, you're exactly correct in intelligent, thoughtful, academic evaluation uh, appeals to people's anxieties and they don't like it. Right. And so the idea of pulling something apart critically and looking at it academically, people just don't want to do that. They don't have time for that. So it's much easier just to, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a topic I think for another show, but you're absolutely right. And I agree with you. Uh, but that wraps up the crank file. You got too deep on the crank file. Usually we just laugh at it for a while, but I think, <laughs> I guess the moral of this story is don't drink fountain water or Disney will fire you. <laughs> Even in Florida. Well, the crank file is fun for us to point fingers and say you're an idiot, but I think it should also stir thoughts and feelings about, is this the way it should be? So as long as it causes us to ask questions, I think that's a good thing. Socrates was known as the guy who said, I don't have answers. I only want to ask questions. And so if mm-hmm. we can do that, Magic 14 can derive value out of what we're doing. And we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years. It's the mileage. This is something that you talked about that uh, I, I 100% fall into is the idea of reading books and character with the kids at bedtime. It's usually a good thing. Not always a good thing. Uh, I like to practice my voices. So my kids like to watch all of the regular staples of television between uh, Disney, Sesame Street, uh, pick your poison. With mm-hmm. Netflix, it has opened up a treasure trove of wondrous variety in terms all of over the world. cultural engagement. Mm-hmm. They watch Indian shows on Netflix. They watch Peppa Pig, which is British. They watch this strange French show about a girl that's dressed up as a ladybug. And my favorite new show, which is called Bluey, which is about an Australian dog. I I fucking love Bluey. It's the best show. Absolutely the best Uh, show. Season two came out and they really address some serious, real topics about my friends are allowed to say this. What do we say? How far is too far when you're playing with your kids? What games can we play? What does dad do? Are you married? Like they go into all these, they just cover the gamut of parental topics. And it's like, it's the most awesome non Daniel tiger, Daniel tiger, but it's got these horribly dirty jokes, which I guess is totally cool in Australian culture. But over here in the United States, we're based on the Puritans. We're like, you can't, you can't say that in a children's show. Well, apparently you can in Australia. So think about if Daniel Tiger is a little too prudish for you, watch Bluey because it is fucking awesome. 
It's so hilarious. I say that because my kids can do British, Indian, Australian. They're learning how to do various parts of the country. They can do Southern. They can do Northeastern. Uh, I think it's just wonderful that, that my children are, are developing a tongue for it. Uh, but I, I do voices all the time. You know, for those of you that are following the podcast, I do voiceover work on the side. So it's, it's my thing. But we talked about this offline. It can backfire. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. Um, I had a really precious moment with my daughter uh, the other day, which is her and I, and she made some comment. I'm like, well, you never miss me when I'm gone. She's like, that's not, again, she's four years old. She's like, that's not true. That's not true. And I said, oh, really? She's like, I told mom, I want daddy to read books with his voices because you don't read them with voices like he does. And I'm the same way. It must be our theater background. I love picking up a book and saying, this is the character I'm rolling with. Southern, New York, Australian, British, whatever. It's fun for me to just read it in a character voice. And, uh, and apparently she likes it as much as I like doing it. So that, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty fun. Uh, and, and, to back up your point on how cool Netflix is now that we've expanded our ability to, you know, culturally pull in shows that maybe we didn't get when we were kids. Belle's uh, favorite show growing up when she was like two years old was Masha. And I don't know if you ever saw Masha it. The it is, yeah. Straight yeah. Russian. I mean, that is straight out of mother Russia, but she loved it. And it really, they didn't talk in it, but it was a, it was, she, she loved it. And I'm like, we would have never seen anything like this before. We would have, you know, we would have rammed Sesame street down her throat or, you know, whatever we had. And that's what she would watch. So it is, it is really cool that we have that ability. And I am million percent back you. If you haven't seen Bluey and you have kids watch Bluey, it's absolutely equally for kids and their parents watching it they hit yes. that perfect formula that's what we got to talk about one time both of you both of you are laughing because you get different jokes so it's almost like they have two writing rooms they have the writing room for parents and the writing room for kids and they come out and go okay here's how we're going to make this work 100 i absolutely agree with you um i seem to recall that there was one time where that got you in trouble. So was it that you couldn't do it a voice or did she ever turn you off? Did she ever say, daddy, I don't want any voices tonight. Oh yeah. She does that all the time, but she does that because <laughs> I almost want to call her cancel culture because <laughs> at any point <laughs> where you're having fun or you take interest in something is immediately when she shuts you down and says she hates it. And I'm like, you're, I thought I had like 10 more years before you're a teenager and you became this. But apparently at four years old, that's already a thing. Oh, you like this? You think this is fun? It's dumb. And let me tell you that you need to stop and give me money. What? What happened? You're four. And give me money. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I like to... Uh, as best as I can, 
I like to mimic the characters that they see on TV. So if there are ways that I can incorporate a character's voice from their favorite show into one of their stories, that lights them up like no other. And that's just a, that's a gift that I can give them. Um, you know, you can't, there, there are probably ways that I could spend money on them that they would love. There are probably, there are probably things that I could give them uh, that would make them feel rich when they get older and they look back and they go, yeah, my parents did this. This is the one bit of wealth that I feel I can give them is if, if I can mimic one of their TV, favorite TV show characters, that mm -hmm. to me is one of the best gifts I can give them. That's, you know, and I don't think the 14 understand because you don't really flex your muscle on this podcast, but Danny's ability to just flip into different characters, left and right, different voices, left and right, and just nail it in mid conversation. It's not common. So he's got some pretty lucky sons that get to listen to him <laughs> read stories. So good, good, good on them. Thank you, brother. One of the ones I jumped into, cause I'll, I'll, I, I have a, I have a weird instrument for mimic. And I talked about this with um, one of the previous guests on the pod, Lady Catlin. We, we went into this about what it is to be a mimic. My favorite character that they watch is from Phineas and Ferb. Do you know that show? Never heard of that one. You will. Uh, Phineas and Ferb has some of the most intelligent humor for a kid's show. And I am, I find myself casually watching it while I'm doing something in the kitchen and they'll throw something out there and I just start laughing. And of course, both kids turn around. What was it? What was it? It's like, I, guys, I don't have, I don't have 20 minutes to explain the context of that joke to you, but it was seriously hysterical. But the bad guy is Dr. Doofenshmirtz and Dr. Doofenshmirtz is all of the mad scientist James Bond villain tropes all rolled into one. And he's got a voice like this. And so as long as you can do this voice as a villain voice, it's very, very useful when you need to talk to your children in terms of you shouldn't be doing that because Dr. Doofenshmirtz does it. And as long as you can jump into each of those voices, uh, bedtime stories become a ton of fun. The challenge is when they go, no, I don't want you to do that voice. I want you to do this voice. And you can't pull it out yeah yeah like okay you did this one voice one time like, oh what can you can you describe it <laughs> what what i uh, just just to start to start talking about who the voice was what day was it you know because there's so <laughs> many voices that you go through on any given time with your children they go yeah but i remember that voice you did that one time from that one guy and it's like all right so date Time, context, what do you, and then of course you can never bring it up. And then they're like, oh, you just, you just being mean. You can do it. Like, no, I do. I got a, I got a couple dozen voices in my repertoire, buddy. I just, I need some context on what voice we're talking about here. <laughs> I, you know, the one that I always lean on when I'm in a really ridiculous mood. I, you know, this, I, I go right back to Monty Python. I can't help <laughs> it. And, that's the voice that I think both my daughter and my wife laugh at and are sick of at the same time because they love it so much, but I probably use it too much. But yeah. Very well. I, I, would like, I would like another strawberry. 
<laughs> just love it. Do you know what I love to do with the mother of my children? I love to talk dirty as Gru. I'm sure she loves that. Well, I'm sure that immediately she, she doesn't turns her love on. it. She doesn't love it because she's laughing and she's going, you need to stop. And I just, I just keep going. <laughs> I guess it's better. Than I like it. I don't like it. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what I, do you have pink parts that I can, that I can rub on. I, what, I, 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 I. Yeah, there's no way that's not turn on. <laughs> but I, that's awesome. You know, you kind of, you gotta, you gotta find Gru because Gru's tough because Gru's down here, but he's not down. He's kind of, he's, he's a little kind of a silly Arnold. And then I gotta, I gotta try and think about Gru and I go, uh, happy birthday, dear Dan. He's kind of, he's, he's, in the, I love that part. There's in the, the back of his throat. That's one of those episodes. That's one of those series again, that gets better. Every single one, that last one, was phenomenal. I know. It's very sad that, that Carell retired the role, but I, I get it. I mean, you get sick of doing a role after a while. It's it's too bad because he's he's denying others. And it's like he's done so much stuff. Yeah, like, move Steve, on. You're, you're not going to be pigeonholed as the Gru guy. Yeah. But nobody else can do what he does. There is no Gru television show, right? So right. there's a boss baby television show because somebody can figure out Alec Baldwin. Yeah, there's yeah, it's Will Arnett. Right. There's there's different there's different television shows that can be mimicked, but apparently nobody's figured out how to do Gru. Otherwise, there'd be a minion show with right. a Gru like. Yeah, they can't they can't nail Gru. I, and that's okay. Although I did, are you a Hotel Transylvania fan? Oh yeah. That because there's a new one of those coming out of our head. Yeah, there's a new one coming out, and I'm psyched. Just keep them coming. They're hilarious. I'll be looking forward to that one. Hopefully this one won't be on a boat. <laughs> yeah. I still like that one, though. That was pretty good. I liked it. <laughs> anyway, I want to do uh, I want to do a deep dive on kids shows that have nothing but adult jokes in them. So maybe that's next episode after you get back from the Hawaiian Islands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope I but, get laid. Uh, we'll get into that one. I hope you get laid too, my friend. <laughs> we'll be right back. And we're back. And we're back. So how long have you been in Hawaii for? 10 days. Okay, so we're probably so not going to be not next week, but the week back after. I'll so be we're going to be we're going to be off next week, and then we're going to be back on the week after that. All right, so yep. for the next two weeks, let's think about this. Uh, we have a mutual friend who is a amateur horticulturist, mm-hmm. and I was in a position to see his growing operation. Uh, mm-hmm. Bear in mind, he also has chickens, and so he uses the chicken excrement as fertilizer mm-hmm. for his grow operation. He has this wonderful blacked-out enclosure that he puts the lights and the plants and the fans and the irrigation. It was all—it's just magic. Magic. Yeah, it's all—it's all self-contained magic. Uh, and he grows these really spongy, really really nice buds. They're like golf ball size buds. And he just—he pulled out a leaf one time. He's like this, 
And I was like, have you weighed any of this? He's like, well, I got a scale. And I said, well, I'm going off 20 years of data here, but back in the day, you get a gram for 20 bucks, you get an ounce for a hundred. How many ounces do you think you have? And he went through his stash and he was like, well, so far, well over a thousand. Thousand ounces? I said, so you got a thousand dollars in weed that you or don't 10 smoke. Ounces, what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you think about what what each of those buds weighs. Mm-hmm. And they're thick, rich, they're fibrous, they're really spongy. They're, that's good weed. Uh, and he's growing it, I think, because of some strange uh, kind of a challenge to himself. And I got hats off to him. I was like, dude, that's amazing. Million but percent. Hobby. He says, "Is I just give it away." Well, yeah, why are you? It's a hobby you know, for him. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful hobby. Mm-hmm. I call him Doctor Doctor Green Thumb because he has chickens that are feeding his fig trees artichokes he's growing weed just because why not you know just it's not like he doesn't he just why not it's legal i can do it let's try it and everything he grows is top notch and he's just he loves learning about it and if you pick his brain which i hope we get him on here one day just pick his brain about how important ph levels are and (laughs) <laughs> the water he puts on there and he puts different plants on different parts of the yard because they have different amounts of sunshine that it, and it's all self-taught. Yep. Absolutely. 100% self-taught and he's crushing it and he, he just really enjoys it. And, and I keep telling him, I'm like, I think you're doing the wrong thing, man. I think you have a calling here because <laughs> what you're doing is not normal. People aren't that excited about learning about pH levels and all the other BS and, you know, what fertilizers and what, how much nitrogen you need in this, um, all that he's measuring it all. He, he knows exactly how much everything needs to be. I can barely keep, you know, the hardiest plant alive in, in my yard. So I don't know how the hell I I'm, I, I just constantly call him and take pictures and go, what, what happened to my grass? Why, why is my grass dying? And he'll, uh, you got to water it more, dude. When's the last time you watered it? Oh, well, not like two weeks ago, <laughs> two weeks ago. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. this, this was a guy that never smoked with us when we were kids. He may take edibles now to watch a funny movie and go to sleep. But mm-hmm. what he found was I want to grow things. And that's his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started this podcast, I started writing, I started doing those things that were creative to me. It seems like it's like he did this before the pandemic, but the pandemic kind of all gave us an opportunity to say, what is it that we really want to do? Like what lights us up? And the fact that he grows this skunky dank Really, really nice stuff. And he doesn't smoke it. He's not looking forward to, oh, I get to enjoy this myself. He's just, this is just another plant to him. I mm-hmm. find that fascinating. Yeah. I, I, he, you, you nailed it. It is not about how much can I grow? So how high can I get? It's, he just gives it away. He just gives it away because he wants to do, okay, 
I did this well, but how do I do the next one better? You know, it's all about experimenting, experimentation to him and to figure out how different plants react under different stress. Like he will purposely stress a plant because it will cause a better fruit. And who knows how to do that? You know, but he enjoys doing that kind of stuff. And he'll learn from it. Yeah. So parting thoughts for Magic 14. If the pandemic has not drawn you into something that gives you artistic creativity or a feeling of fulfillment or at the very least closure, you're really doing yourself a disservice by not jumping in. Take the time to do something that works in the midst of everything that's falling apart. So as we bring things back and we're recording this on June 3rd. So the weather's nice in North America, the economy's heating up. People are going back out to restaurants. They're really kind of coming back together with family. Uh, Don't lose that essence of self-improvement and self-exploration, which I think is so necessary. You, sir, are going to have an awesome time in Hawaii. Well, thank you. I'm, po- I'm going to have my puka shells. I'm going to eat my poi. I'm going to have poo-poos. All, I want you to text those... me a picture of your most flagrant cocktail. Ooh, okay. That's, That's a fun challenge. That's a fun I want, challenge. I want a big curvy glass with shit in the top. And you just oh, yeah. send me a picture. goes, I got it. I got the most obnoxious cocktail on Kauai. And I'm going to celebrate with you. I love it. I love it. I'm absolutely going to do that. For research purposes. Oh, yes. Field study. <laughs> Danny, it was a pleasure. I'll see you in two weeks. Have fun, brother. Take care. Uh, thank you. This place is dead anyway, man.